The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. We are back. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. That was a little uh, Jeff Healy off of Hell to Pay. That was track uh, nine, How Much? And standing by to join me is James Wilder. He's an actor, architect, and designer, and he's done all kinds of incredible things, and he's here to chat with us. Hi, James. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for calling in. My pleasure. Thank you. Are you out here now, or are you in New York? I'm in uh, Los Angeles now, okay. heading up to San Francisco in a couple of days, and then back to New York in about one more week. Busy. Yeah, busy. busy. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. I know uh, your film, uh, Three Holes in a Smoking Gun, uh, it has won a lot of accolades. Yeah, very surprising, very nice. You know, won the Independent Spirit Award at the Garden State Film Festival, and you also won Best Actor Award at the Winter Film Festival. Have there been other awards I don't know of? Uh, yeah, actually, you know, I won uh, uh, New York City Winter uh, Best Actor. Ooh, congrats. Um, that, which was really cool. And I'm going out back east again to get a uh, in recognition of dramatic excellence. That is great. Imagine that. Whew. Are you blown away at, like, where your career has gone? I mean, is this something you've, like, always dreamed of? You know, that's a very good question. Um, of course I'm blown away with anything happens that is good yes. or very bad. <laughs> and I try to say, you know what, let me take that all in and see what I can do to either avoid that or replicate it again sometime in the future. Right. Um, I took a period of time away from acting by choice, and so I was waiting for the right kind of project that I felt uh, had a lot of diametrical opposition and, you know, a good fractured character with some, you know, winning and losing qualities to play. And mm -hmm. Along the line, um, a very talented writer by the name of Scott Fivelson came to me and offered me this script. So uh, that's where it all kind of started. You, in between, you said you took a hiatus. Is that the time you were working as an architect and a designer? Yeah, you know, I started as a, a street performer originally, and uh, I had a one-man show, so I always felt that, you know, when I was going to, um, I was going to an advanced learning institution that pretty much focused itself on capitalism, which I think was pretty accurate growing up in the United States anyway, you mm -hmm. have to learn how to make money. When I put my eyes on things that looked like they would hedge my future, of course, the things that pop up would be a professional, such as a lawyer, a dentist, yes. doctor, and none of those things really interested me. Of course, I think what almost interests everybody is to be a rock and roll star or a movie star, oh, yeah. um, because it looks so easy and fun. But when you break down the annual average earning income, with <laughs> everyone combined, including the $22 million players, and you find it's about $6,500 a year, I... Yeah, was dismayed, to say the least, yes. and said, I don't think that that's a direction I'd really want to go. Right. But somewhere along the line, I put together this little one-man street show at the age of, like, 11, 12 years old, and I started 
you know, performing with this in Ghirardelli Square in San Francisco, and mm-hmm. then I got booked to go play the Moulin Rouge at 14 by myself. So I started making money and generating capital at a really early age. So I always had a really good sense of kind of like inflow and outflow. That's good. Um, you know, money sense. Yes, yes. So back to your question, which, believe me, <laughs> this was the precursor to it. Okay. Um, the, all those things as an artist I felt were something that were necessary to have in play if you want to be an actor mm-hmm. because you can't just um, rely on acting roles to uh, you know, secure your future or you're going to be doing a lot of parts you don't want to do. Very true. So for that reason, I decided to put my hand into to architecture and design capabilities. Um, this one-man show I still have will have for the rest of my life. So I was able to supplement earning income through those different channels. That's good. And uh, wait to see if something really spins my wheels Mm -hmm. as a term, as an acting role. And if something doesn't, I'm not, I don't have to be like, you know, an actor on a dog and leash where I'm stuck, you know, for some years into some whatever show, play, movie, you know, that I really don't want to do and my heart's not in it. Right. You know, I I uh, find it really interesting because I almost feel like it's like fishing. When you're an artist, you cast your line into different things, and you're not desperate for this one thing. You kind of see, you know, where it's going to go and what you're going to catch. You know, I I would say that's a, a, a good analysis of it. I mean, that's an a- accurate metaphor for sure. Um, and it's not really by choice, you right. know, because it, it's a it's a group decision, you know. That's what I noticed also was different. When I had a one-man show, I was everybody. I was the creative director, and I was the slave. (laughs) I was everybody in between. (laughs) When it comes to, you know, making a movie, it's a group of at least 100 people that are all involved, and it's sort of a, in a reasonably fair way, a democratic decision because everybody has their say-so. But uh, as you say, you don't know what you're going to, fish you're going to end up with on the hook, if any, you know, that's, that's yeah, yeah. a bit of the luck of the draw when they say. And the theme of the show is it's get the funk out. So has there been a time in your life where you found yourself in a career funk, personal funk, and if you would like to share maybe how you got out of it, maybe some advice for the listeners? Mm. Well, that's interesting. Absolutely. Uh, wow, growing up in Oakland, I mean, or around Oakland, mm-hmm. funk was just such a the music was such a big part of uh, what I listen to all the time. And that, that music in itself, I think, is very uplifting. Yes. But um, I would say, you know, realizing, well, that's, I think that's what I was saying prior when I was saying, you know, when there, when there be some big failure is not focusing on to the failure itself. I think uh, as, as human beings and sort of pack animals, so mm-hmm. to speak, and how we, you know, think and live, because we do, we are a social animal. We, we have a tendency to focus on the things that are based around survival, and based around survival are the things that you don't do. Otherwise, you'll starve or get killed. You don't really focus on the sunset so much. You right. focus on the burning fire and running away. Right. So a part of the way we're programmed is to constantly be thinking about how not to get hurt or die or survive. And I've, 
kind of reprogrammed my brain or my thinking pattern, I should say, into really looking at every day as an amazing day. Mm-hmm. Just jumpstart from the beginning of the day saying, wow, this is a brand new day. This is an amazing day. I'm so happy I'm here. What are the things that I have in my life to feel uh, you know, really grateful for? And also, right. what are some challenges that I can keep my eye on the ball and make happen? Yes. Sounds a little corny, but I mean, it's been Makes around sense. since the time of Buddhism and way before that. That, you know, keeping your eye on the ball and keeping directed on positive goals definitely makes you feel better, even if you just fake being happy, almost like an acting <laughs> exercise. You know, they, right. you know, in, in method acting, you know, they say, you know, think like a dog, act like a dog, move around. Pretty soon, you know, you, <laughs> you, you're a dog. If you had fur, you'd be a dog. <laughs> so if you fake being happy, it really does pull you up and out. And a lot of positive motivational quotes, you know, um, I think it was Picasso, you know, that said, if you can dream it, it's real. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know who said this, but uh, the way to stay motivated is eliminate the unmotivated people around you. Very true. And on and on with these like quotes that I kind of repeat to myself almost as my own silent mantra yes. to keep moving forward. Because as an actor, you are under critical attack at all times. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Do you find it interesting, this latest film, Three Holes in a Smoking Gun, that you're playing a washed-up screenwriter? I mean, was it, was it interesting, like, relatable in anything in your life? I mean, what attracted you to that role? I think a fractured character. Um, I mean, I've certainly had failures in my life, and I've certainly had the successes, and I think that this was a a hybrid of the two, where it was somebody that, uh, the character being that had just a a gluttonous amount of success and then mishandled it for himself Mm -hmm. and basically turned that success into poison because the outside committee, being everyone around him, he was connected to, just got really turned off to the handling of his success. And I do feel also at times, many times when people are very successful, you know, their friends disappear just because life by comparison is really difficult when you're standing next to somebody that's doing incredibly well. Yes. You then compare your life against it and say, you know what, I just, I just don't want to stand next to that right now. Right. So uh, in both capacities, extreme success and extreme failure ends up with the same outcome, which is, um, I think, being alone, which then turns into loneliness. So I thought this was a really cool opportunity to play a a character that starts as a winner, but not at the jump street point of the film. Um, And he's fractured so that you see him trying to see if he can climb back into that seat of um, being a successful person. Mm -hmm. And that attracted me to that part very much. Yeah. That's great. I noticed, by the way, I put your uh, bio up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. You actually spent some time with your mom living in Paris growing up. What was that like? Well, you know, I think having a bilingual, and in my mom's case, she speaks seven languages. Wow. So someone that was truly an immigrant, she still retains her French citizenship. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting to grow up in the United States that are basically all immigrants originally. Yes. Uh, to have different varying points of view on life and um, food and dress and style and, you know, points of view on life. So I kind of 
was dragged around this big blue marble with her and my dad, who's Italian, mm -hmm. uh, many times as a child or even an infant. And then by the time I was 14, I was living in Paris by myself in Pigalle. What? Working at the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, with this one-man show. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. 14? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. James, yeah. that's... I know today it almost seems illegal I know. or sinful or very irresponsible, but if your mother was an immigrant, yes. you know, and came at one point from Romania mm -hmm. all the way across, you know, Eastern Europe to Western Europe, and then the, from Le Havre uh, coming all the way over on a boat and then to the United States landing in New York and then crossing the continent all the way to San Francisco, you know, Somebody that's going to go into a professional working situation at the Moulin Rouge, which, you know, at that time, the worst thing about the Moulin Rouge was that some of the girls were topless, and to a 14-year-old boy, that was, like, <laughs> probably the best part about it. And, and the audience at that time... The poor thing. Yeah, they didn't wear, you know, baggy pants and baseball hats. Everybody had right. to wear suit and tie. Yes. Uh, so it was a very sophisticated, elegant show. That in itself brought so much adventure and, and, and uh, life knowledge for me, especially being there alone. You know, my mom didn't, she always gave me really good advice. So did my, my father, mm -hmm. but didn't overcoddle me, you know, didn't put me in a stroller with a hockey helmet and an airbag and right. hire a security yeah. guard to make sure a tree doesn't fall on me. I just don't think that that's necessarily so good for uh, kids growing up when they're overly protected. Right. You know, you, right. you have to burn your hand on the stove to know not to do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you can't explain it from pictures in a book. It's a physical, it's a physical, we have five senses. So once a kid burns his hand on the stove, you know not to do that again. Absolutely. You know? What was some uh, advice, just any kind of advice she gave you when you went off to do this one-man show? Um, well, well, if there's any problems, obviously, you know, contact her immediately. Yes. Um, if, um... Her, her focus in life for me yes. was to always be happy. That's good. Just strive for happiness. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that makes you happy, as long as it's not narcotics and right. you know, uh, dealing drugs or whatever the points that uh, people make a misnomer about happiness. Uh, as long as they're altruistic in a format, just you know, be happy, whatever that is and whatever choices that you make for yourself. My mm -hmm. father, on the other hand, being Italian you know, was saying, hey, listen, uh, it's all great. Be happy, but learn how to make a living. Yes. Learn how to feed yourself Practical. and your family. Sure. Said, because if you don't do that, I don't care how happy you are, you're going to be unhappy. Right. So it was, uh, as the French say, a melange, a mixture of those two elements that were very basic principles, but a very good thing to focus uh, a young person into keeping their eye on the ball with. And I should have asked, what was your one-man show? It was... Very, um, well, it was fire-eating, fire-blowing, juggling, uh, chain escapes, tightrope walking, unicycling, all mixed with social and political satire. So that was what was so unique about it, that I looked very young for my age. Yes. So when I was like 11 years old, I probably looked like I was nine, and I was doing political satire, um, and it was humorous and very um, curious because mm -hmm. they would say, how would this young kid know about life at this age? 
Yeah, life about this life at this age, and you know, he's making uh, references that are. Uh, it was you know, is he a parrot? Is he a puppet? Is there somebody you know? Is there the Wizard of Oz somewhere behind the box? You know, that's you know, piping this into his ear with the Marlon Brando Marlon Brando teleprompter. You know, <laughs> how is this kid's brain working that way? Yeah. And um, that was sort of the refreshing part of the show that I found so exciting. That's what attracts me to good writing. That's what I thought. Scott Fivelson did a really great job on it. There was a lot of innuendo and twists and turns, and you think it's going to go this way, but it goes that way. And I also, I love film noir. Mm-hmm. You know? And you have a lot of different interests balancing out you know, your acting career. I, I noticed that you construct homes, um, you're, you're designing things, and you also have an interest in Indian motorcycles. Have you always loved riding bikes and classic cars? I mean, what boy hasn't been enamored with cars. You can see it with little kids. The first thing mm-hmm. they want is, you know, little matchbox cars, and right. bo- you know, little cars from Fast and Furious. There's just something mm-hmm. about young boys <laughs> that want fast things that can kill themselves. Um, so, yes, I, uh, after unicycles and whatnot, I kind uh, by the time I was 13, 14, I started to, you know, race motorcycles in the dirt and, uh, that was my hobby, and mm-hmm. so that um, had an outgrowth into street cycles and then building these, these motorcycles and building custom cars and then finally realizing that this was sort of a vanity project because you don't really, unless you're Jesse James, who's a genius, by yes, the way, yes. um, you don't really, can't really make a living because it's such a narrow demographic of people that want you know, $30,000 motorcycle sure. and a $100,000 car that's a custom car. So I put my hand into architectural spaces and living spaces, sort of art spaces built by an artist for artists or for artistic um, renderings and purposes and design, lifestyle. And Ely Kazan, who is, a, I mean, a, just a huge... Um, a huge figure for me with the group theater, mm-hmm. the original actor studio, had that whole um, premise of people work, artists working together in a composite. And so that's what I did. I, I took like a that. section yeah. in the Hollywood Hills and I built several homes from the ground up, side by side, behind each other, all independent of each other, but basically art spaces for, for artists. And I've been fortunate enough to attract some amazing artists that have come here and written albums and written I, movies and books and, you know, created some amazing art here. I, I noticed uh, you mentioned Eddie Van Halen, Tom Ford, Jesse James, Stevie Wonder. I mean, these are incredible, you know, influences on you as an artist. I know, and what a, what a, um, what a odd selection, too, because they're all such different, you know, they're so different right. from each other, yet they're all, in my opinion, such stupendous artists in their right. Yes. So, yes. yeah, that's been amazing. That's been an amazing thing. Are there things on your bucket list that you, you know, want to do next? Well, you ask really good questions. Thank you. Um, I think I will eternally be the juggler, mm-hmm. which is I keep myself loaded up with projects, near impossible projects, so that my bucket, my bucket list is always full Mm -hmm. and if something drops off or gets shut down for whatever reason there's something in the air 
yes. that needs to be done right now. I was going to close the doors because there's, I don't know if you're hearing it no. or your listeners are hearing it. There's jackhammers in the background, Nothing. and we're jackhammering into 36-inch diameter holes 28 feet into bedrock because I'm building a new space wow. right across the street from uh, the spaces that I've designed. And so... Why would I need to build another space? That's just, I don't know. I need another project. I need another canvas to paint on. I always remember when they say some of the great artists that were so broke, yes. they, they were painters. They would just paint over other paintings. Exactly. You know, they'd have a great painting, and they'd say, I don't have any canvas. Well, I'm not going to stop painting. Let's yes. just paint this thing white and paint a new painting. And right. I just feel very much that way. I'm very driven very ambitious, and uh, of course I have a fear of failure, but I realize that part without failure you don't have success. I think, what was it, Thomas Edison, was it 10,000 times before he was actually able to get the light bulb to That's function? Right. That's right. You know, so there was 10,000 failures mm-hmm. before something that we just take for granted, you know, right. it's, as, it's as common now as fire. You know, and as artists, uh, creative people, you know, we have this uh, on either shoulder going, oh, that's awful. This is never going to take off. You know, and then this side, it's like, go for it. I, I have to do this. This is my passion. Yeah. You know, you know I mean, you know, the same thing with, with critics in a sense is that, you know, and they always say this. I had Mel Gibson tell me this, and, and mm-hmm. Mickey Rooney, when I was doing Sugar Babies, told me this. They said, hey, kid, don't ever read your reviews. Right. Those two people are so stellar in their accomplishments as far as what they've done. I mean, Mickey Rooney, I mean, going back so far and doing, you know, he's like an icon. Uh, and Mel Gibson, you know, with, uh, you know, Apocalypto and Braveheart and winning, you know, Academy Awards as a director and an actor and being a good-looking guy on top of it, yes. which makes it almost unfair. You know, <laughs> so they always said, you know, don't read reviews because all the good ones disappear. You will just remember that bad review. It's almost as if, as if it's tattooed into your consciousness and yes. just leave yourself alone from it. You know, and they always said, listen, there's those that cannot do, teach or criticize. Right. So I thought, very hmm, true. you know, it's very interesting because they're insulated from any sort of negative review. But you have to take the negative review and be able to... Um, Say that's a person's opinion, and that's okay. And I know with this film or any project or or the homes that I design or the custom motorcycles or the fact that I used to juggle running chainsaws that some people will think, wow, he juggled running chainsaws. That's the (laughs) coolest thing ever. Somebody else may go, what an absolute idiot. What kind of death wish? (laughs) You know, I was a big fan of Evil Knievel. Mm -hmm. Other people thought, why would this guy want to jump over buses and break every bone in his body? Exactly. And I can see both points of view. I truly can. Some say he's a daredevil genius. Other people would say he was half mad and out of his mind. Mm -hmm. But again, what artist isn't a little half mad and out of their mind? That's true. And I, I would have to say, you know, listening to you, how busy you are, all the different pursuits, that's how you stay out of a funk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. I say, oh, I see, no, I see. So you're using funk as a, in a negative connotation. I got it. Yes. I'm, see, I, this is how positive I program <laughs> my brain. I'm thinking of funk. 
and I'm listening to Average White Band and Tower of That's Power. Right. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of funk music. Well, that would be the number one thing. If you get into funk, yes. listen to some funk, yes. and that rhythm in itself will take you right up <laughs> and out of it. All that 70s music was really like foot stomping, yes. you know, uh, kind of a little bit of tribal beat, get up and get going kind of music. Of course, of course. Interesting. No, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all go through these periods. It's, you know, bumps in the road, and, and it's interesting how we can stay out of a funk. Maybe it's by keeping busy, by having a lot of interests, and just, just going, going for it. It's true. You know, another saying is it's, it's a small world, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't want to paint it, right. you know. And or I think it was the same, same person said, if you had everything, where would you put it? You right. know? So the point is you have to be struggling in a, in, a, in a positive connotation of that word. It's our nature. You know, it's our nature as, 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 as hunters and, and experimenters and, and artists and people to feel a yearning that there is something more. You know, but also to be satisfied with what you have. And I think they say, too, they always say, when you get your dream goal or that bucket list, you will realize at that point that the best time was the journey. Yes. It wasn't the destination. I had just gone to, when I first moved down to Los Angeles, I was 17 years old, and I was living in a custom van that I had built right out of high school. And I had this one-man show, and I would drive to the Mardi Gras in New Orleans and perform. And I came down to Southern California because I heard, you know, all the amazing things, beautiful weather, beautiful women, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I came down, and I was performing in Venice Beach, and I was juggling running chainsaws. And everybody knew, because I, I, I was the first person to juggle running chainsaws. Now there's... Uh, many people that juggle running chainsaws, believe it or not. And I was known as the guy that juggled the running chainsaws. So I was performing at the Greek Theater, the Roxy, and the Whiskey. And I was in my van. I said, wow, do you really want to be known as the guy that juggled running chainsaws? (laughs) Isn't that sort of like an ass thing to be known? And I thought, you know, being an actor would be really cool. So now, now we jump cut to three days ago. I was down in Venice Beach, and I was walking around, and now I just have this, like, three best, Independent Spirit Award, Best Actor in New York City, Best Actor Someone Else, and going up to pick uh, in recognition of dramatic excellence. Mm-hmm. And as I was walking around, I saw some guys juggling, and they were juggling clubs. Yes. And I walked up to them, and, and you know, I, I, we were passing clubs back and forth, and they say, how do you know how to juggle? And I said, you know, I was the guy that used to juggle right yes. over there, 50 feet from yeah. here. I don't know how many years ago, a couple of decades ago, I was the guy that juggled the running chainsaws. And now, now, instead of me telling them what at that time was my dream, I guess, to be known as an award-winning actor, I'm trying to convince them to get them to believe me that I was the guy that juggled <laughs> the running chainsaws because actors, there's thousands of actors that have awards, but there's only one guy that started juggling and running chainsaws. And that was chainsaws. you. So and that was you. It, it's so funny how your mind shifts consciousness when you attain those things that you feel are the impossible. You then, yes. you know, retread your life and realize that every step of that journey is an amazing experience. Yes. Well, James, I want to thank you so much for calling in. I just want to give out your website. We have to wrap. It's jameswilderactor.com. That's right. And also themodernvillas.com is up on my blog. That's right. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much, and hopefully at some point I'll get to meet you. That'd be great. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks I'll so much. I'll for you. Thank <laughs> <Okay>. you. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
That was James Wilder joining us. This is Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. This is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Up next, Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues. And if you missed any part of today's show, it'll be up on my blog. Again, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. If you want to find out about being a guest, just send me an email. It's J-A-N-E-A-N-E, J-A-N-E-A-N-E at kci.org. Have a great Monday, everybody, and I'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.